the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering. Today we'll hear a conversation with Alan Jackson, author of Big Trouble Ahead, a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. That's coming up in the second hour. And we'll also talk about the 34th annual Capital Bible Reading Marathon. It kicks off in the Capitol this weekend. More details to come. Well, one of the breaking news stories from earlier today, the U.S. military is preparing to place additional forces in Djibouti for a potential mission to evacuate U.S. embassy personnel in Khartoum, Sudan's capital city, according to a senior U.S. official. Embassy staff have been sheltering in place since Saturday when gunfire and explosions erupted in the capital with conflict between the paramilitary rapid support forces and Sudan's army. The two sides are battling for control of the country with five million city residents in U.S. personnel caught in the the crossfire. The Department of Defense through the U.S. Africa Command is monitoring the situation in in Sudan and conducting prudent planning for various counter uh, contingencies. As part of this, we are deploying additional capabilities nearby in the region for contingency purposes related to securing and potentially facilitating the departure of U.S. embassy personnel from Sudan if circumstances require it. So says the Department of Defense spokesperson. Colonel Philip Ventura, as a matter of policy and security, we do not speculate on potential future operations. What was first reported by Politico, they plan to rescue embassy staff who are sheltering just eight miles from Khartoum's international airport. The airport has been left inoperable by heavy fighting and military evacuation. It appears to be the only way the 70 or so embassy staffers can escape Sudan without serious risk to their lives. According to the report, the Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman met with lawmakers privately and said the troops would be moving uh, to Djibouti, where Camp um, Lemonier is located, to give the administration options to launch uh, some sort of a response or an evacuation. Uh, There have been a number of fatalities thus far, and the fighting continues in that area. We'll keep you posted should uh, evacuation be required. Oregon Democrats want voters to approve a constitutional amendment guaranteeing the right to same-sex marriage, abortion, and gender-affirming care, as it's called. Senate Majority Leader uh, Kate Lieber, a Democrat from Portland, Senate President Rob Wagner from Lake Oswego, also a Democrat, and Senator Lou Frederick from Portland, introduced Senate Joint Resolution 33 on Wednesday to expand Oregon's constitutional protections to same-sex marriage, health care, regardless of sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, they're referring to health care as gender reassignment uh, procedures. Democrats hope to bring the constitutional amendment before voters in November of 24, something they um, should be poised to do with Democrats controlling both the House and the Senate. Democrats will need to gain approval from only only a simple majority in both chambers to refer the resolution to the November 2024 ballot. 
A 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard is accused of stealing and releasing hundreds of top-secret documents containing sensitive intelligence on Russia, Ukraine, the war, and other global hotspots. If convicted, Airman First Class Jack Texera will join such infamous leakers as Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning, who in their time caused severe damage to U.S. security by releasing troves of classified documents. Texera appeared on Friday in federal court charged with two crimes, unauthorized removal and unauthorized transmission of national defense information. He didn't enter a plea immediately, perhaps waiting on a lawyer's advice. Well, since Thursday, when Texera was first identified as the suspect in the reported leak, many Americans have asked how much a junior member of military could have access to so many secrets and wondered how much damage the leak caused. Well, some of this we don't know yet, but we know enough to answer some of the questions. Access to classified information in the Department of Defense is granted based on two criteria, possession of the paper security clearance and a valid need to know. Unlike many other military occupational specialties, such as infantrymen or aircraft uh, maintain, uh, main, uh, maintenance rather Texera's job is a uh, as a cybersecurity technician required a top secret clearance many never get such a clearance top secret clearances are granted based on an extensive investigation often taking a year which examines an individual's family friends credit and criminal history as a young person frankly Texera didn't have much history to examine and no apparent security concerns must have come up during that investigation or they would have denied him access to that information. We don't know the exact nature of his duties, but it's likely that he didn't have a valid need to know regarding the information he allegedly stole. Among the documents are briefing slides prepared for uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as well as elements of the CIA's daily briefing for senior government officials. It's hard to conceive of anyone in the Massachusetts National Guard as having a need for such information, such documents much less a junior airman or even a cyber warrior. Well, the stolen documents came from the Defense Department's top secret information technology system, the Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System. It's the most secure of the Pentagon's communication systems where uh, all the closest held secrets are kept. Texera's military unit, the 102nd Intelligence Support Squadron likely had several terminals that hosted this communication system. Whether investigators believe Texera printed the documents himself or pilfered documents someone else printed is unclear. What is clear is that the airmen allegedly took photos of illegally obtained materials, posted them on social media, including Discord, a software app that allows users to chat in real time using text, voice or video. Valid questions remain about how he allegedly got access to the documents within the Joint Worldwide Intelligence Communication System. Internal controls are supposed to regulate who gets what access to information. If investigators believe that Texera somehow got access to these uh, documents as opposed to stealing already printed documents, then the military's processes for controlling access must be examined. My guess is it will be either way. Despite President Biden's statement to reporters that he wasn't concerned about the disclosures, everything uh, that we've learned uh, suggests he should be, the serious damage falls in two categories, sensitive operational information regarding the Russia-Ukraine war and embarrassing details regarding U.S. surveillance of our allies. The war information included details uh, like casualties, 
um, disposition and status of Ukraine forces, munition stocks, and estimates of the potential success of Ukrainian counterattacks. It all appears legitimate and damaging. In military operations, the value of intelligence depends in part on its timeliness. If Germany had had uh, certain knowledge of the Allies' landing locations on June 3, 1944, three days before D-Day, the invasion, that would have been invaluable. On June 7th, by comparison, useless. Uh, Again, talking about uh, this breach of uh, intelligence will continue in just a few moments, but do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Before the break, we were talking about what we know about the latest leak of top secret intelligence. And according to reports, the uh, serious damage falls into two categories. One, sensitive operational information regarding the Russia-Ukraine war and embarrassing details regarding U.S. surveillance of our allies. Well, the war information included details like casualties, disposition, the status of the Ukrainian forces, munition stocks, estimates of the potential success of Ukrainian counterattacks, And it all appears legitimate and damaging, according to uh, reports. In military operations, the value of intelligence depends in part on its timeliness. And I gave the example if Germany had had certain knowledge of the Allies' landing locations on June the 3rd, 1944, three days before D-Day, that would have been invaluable. But on the 7th of June, by comparison, it was useless. Similarly, some of the Russian-Ukraine war information already has been overcome by events, but in some cases, release of the data caused significant harm, particularly those elements that tell Russia the degree to which U.S. intelligence can observe its operations or provide information on Ukrainian vulnerabilities. Also damaging to U.S. interests were leaks reflecting intelligence collection efforts toward our ally South Korea and partner Egypt. Texera, uh, uh, his apparent motive is unclear. Some speculate that it may have been nothing more than a childlike desire to show off access to sensitive intelligence. Before being given access to top secret intelligence, he would have um, been given explicit briefings on the penalties for divulging classified information and signed a lifetime pledge never to do so. Many legal steps are still to come, and under our legal system, he's innocent until proven guilty. If convicted, the young airman could face up to 15 years in prison. Sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. That's a quote from the U.N. report on the subject. So says the March report released by the United Nation. In simpler terms, the U.N. is saying that minors can consent to intimate conduct, a connection with adults, and that um, uh, this is a human right. The tweet by uh, Heritage Foundation President Kevin Roberts gets even more to the point. Uh, truly disgusting stuff. Well, the ugly square gray U.N. building next to the East River in New York City, which began construction in 1949, looks like a relic from bygone era. The United Nations used to be at the forefront of the liberal imagination in old movies. The U.N. was treated like a place where serious things happened. If uh, aliens invaded Earth, the U.N. will come up with a plan to save us. A few older liberals hold on to that fantasy, but for the most part, the U.N. has just melded into a vast array of non-governmental organizations and nonprofits, foisting social values on various people from the left perspective, while turning a blind eye to dictators and real tyranny. Generations of failure to prevent wars and the inclusion of authoritarian regimes on the U.N. Human Rights Council, various other follies, have turned the U.N. into the punchline that it has always been. Well, that doesn't 
uh, mean that the United Nations doesn't still do genuinely awful things and demonstrate how terrible one world governance would be under this noxious organization. Uh, Squabbling, wasting time, generally being ignored might be the best aspect of the current U.N. Principle 16 of the global body and their March report released for International Women's Day lays out the basis for what the U.N. considers consensual sexual conduct. And it says the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacities of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual conduct. We're talking about sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them pursuant to their evolving capacities. Apparently, they have evolved beyond the innocence of youth and the inability to think critically about issues that have um, the potential to have long term Uh, impact on their lives, these evolving capacities and progressive autonomy, persons under 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard to their age, maturity and best interests and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees. Well, it sounds like a grooming language. While not quite declaring outright that it is a human right for adults to have uh, uh, sex with minors. The UN report suggests that a law preventing such a relationship is a violation of a child's right to have sex with whomever the child wants. I won't go on, but this gives you some indication of the work that they are engaged in and the recommendations they are making for the rest of the world. In other news, home buyers with good credit scores will soon encounter a costly surprise, a new federal rule forcing them to pay higher mortgage rates and fees to subsidize people with riskier credit ratings who are also in the market to buy houses. Now, this sounds like socialism to me, but the fee changes will go into effect May the 1st as part of the Federal Housing Finance Agency's push for affordable housing, and they will affect mortgages originating at private banks across the country. The federally-backed home mortgage companies Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will enact the Loan Level Price Adjustments, or LLPAs. Mortgage industry specialists say home buyers with credit scores of 680 or higher will pay, for example, about $40 per month more on a home loan of $400,000. Home buyers who make down payments of 15% to 20% will get socked with the largest fees. Uh, the new fees will uh, apply only to Americans buying houses or refinancing after May 1st. Now, lenders and real estate agents say the changes will, uh, will frustrate home buyers with high credit scores and homeowners seeking to refinance because the rule put, punishes them for their relatively strong financial position. So you will pay the price of others who do not have a credit score that otherwise would have cost them more in purchasing or refinancing a home. Well, states across the country are taking the lead in keeping biological males out of girls' sports with a flurry of recent legislation, while President Biden's White House at the federal level slams such measures as discrimination against transgender students. North Carolina on Tuesday took a step closer to joining a growing number of states in banning transgender student athletes, primarily males competing against females, from playing on teams that align with their gender identity, requiring them instead to compete against those with the same biological sex. Well, the state Senate advanced out of its education committee the Fairness in Women's Sports Act, which would require athletes to play on teams that match their sex as determined by reproductive biology and genetics at birth. North Carolina's House is pursuing its own version of the same bill to make transgender athletes play on sports teams associated with their sex. A similar measure introduced this month would prevent the male sex from participating in interscholastic athletic activities designated for females, women, or girls. Republicans in both chambers uh, now hold a 
a veto-proof supermajority thanks to a recent high-profile uh, defection of a Democratic legislator, meaning the bill could potentially become law even if Democratic Governor Roy Cooper opposes it. North Carolina is hardly alone. At least 21 other states have now imposed restrictions on transgender athletes, primarily with the intention of protecting girls by prohibiting biological males who identify as female from competing against them because of their phys- physiological um, strength that exceeds that of the women or the girls they would be competing against. And there's a lot more to that, but I'll just leave it at that for now. If you're sick of Merrick Garland's slow walk of the Hunter Biden tax evasion case, uh, this will be welcome news. If you're sick and tired of investigations in general, you might just want to get something to drink while I talk about it. There's a whistleblower within the IRS who says Joe's son is getting the kid glove treatment and he has the receipts. Just the uh, news John Solomon has the specifics. A decorated supervisory IRS agent has reported to the Justice Department's top watchdog that federal prosecutors appointed by Joe Biden have engaged in preferential treatment and politics to block criminal tax charges against the president's son, providing evidence as a whistleblower that conflicts with Attorney General Merrick Garland's recent testimony to Congress that the decision to bring charges against Biden was being left to the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney for Delaware. So this is a controversy that seems to be growing and will continue to follow. The individual has not been identified. He has asked for whistleblower status, and there's a rather lengthy explanation as to what that means, but it would render him... Uh, free to share what he otherwise is not free to share uh, for members uh, before members of Congress. We'll continue to follow that story as it develops. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Alan Jackson. Pastor Jackson is the author of Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. We'll also talk about the 34th annual Capital Bible Reading Marathon that kicks off on uh, the weekend. Well, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Dermott on Thursday invited Chief Justice John Roberts to testify regarding the ethical rules that govern Supreme Court justices and potential reforms to those rules. I invite you or another justice whom you designate to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee on May the 2nd, Durbin wrote. Well, since the Dobbs case, which overturned Roe versus Wade, Democrats have intensified criticism of the court, defending protests outside the homes of the justices, which is unlawful, trying to make passage of funding for the court's next term conditional on new ethics rules and calling for a probe into Justice Clarence Thomas, whose financial and personal dealings with a billionaire Harlan Crow are the subject of public scrutiny. Durbin's letter is the latest move to put pressure on the third branch. The senator said that Roberts last appeared in front of Congress to address ethical issues in 2011. Since then, there has been a steady stream of revelations regarding justices falling short of the ethical standards expected of other federal judges and, indeed, public servants generally. These problems were already apparent in 2011, and the court's decades-long failure to address them has contributed to a crisis of public confidence. The status quo is no longer tenable, Durbin wrote. Now, what that uh, long list of indiscretions might be is unclear. Republicans were quick to disagree with the move. I would not recommend the chief accept the invitation because it would be a circus, said Janitor Coynan. We'll follow the story. Well, the SpaceX spaceship, the largest and most powerful rocket ever built, exploded in midair Thursday morning after taking off from a launch pad in 
South Padre Island, Texas, for its first test flight. But they say they learned a lot. Minutes after launch, the 400-foot unmanned rocket, which was designed to transport people and material to the moon and Mars, exploded. The initial plan following the Starship launch was for the rocket to conduct a single lap around the entire world before touching down in Hawaii. Well, despite the technical failure, SpaceX released a statement on Thursday uh, remarking that the launch was the first step in a longer process and should be considered a success. As if the flight test was not exciting enough, Starship experienced a rapid, unscheduled disassembly before stage separation, the technology company official Twitter account wrote. With a test like this, success comes from what we learn, and today's test will help us improve Starship's reliability as SpaceX seeks to make life multi-planetary. Congratulations to the entire SpaceX team on an exciting first integrated flight test of Starship. In other news, uh, Republicans are responding after an IRS whistleblower says the Hunter Biden investigation is being mishandled. And crypto criminals beware. AI is after you. Cryptocurrency crimes hit an all-time high last year as digital tokens' popularity with criminals soared to a record. But the meteoric rise of artificial intelligence means there's a new sheriff in town and its reach is global. Blockchain security firm Anchain AI uses AI and machine learning to analyze blockchain transactions and identify suspicious behavior, including money laundering, insider trading, and hacking. Its technology identifies security risks and vulnerabilities, assists in forensic investigations, and helps companies stay compliant with industry standards. And uh, all... And Chain AI launched in 2018. It focuses specifically on blockchain, Web3, and smart contract security, assisting both companies and the government in busting malicious online actors. The tech company has been involved in several high-profile investigations, including a $100 million heist of U.S. crypto firm Harmony's Horizon Bridge last year and a $2 million rug pull that led to the first-ever indictment of NFT scammers. It's also contracted with the Securities and Exchange Commission to assist in monitoring the decentralized finance industry. AI chatbot hallucinations could pose political, intellectual, institutional dangers. Inaccuracies spewed by artificial intelligence chatbots pose dangers threatening areas of American society such as elections and education. That's a warning from tech experts from across a wide range of industries. Dubbed hallucinations in the AI world, chatbots like ChatGPT and Google's Bard can present inaccurate information as fact, something consumers should be cautious of, according to experts. We should always be wary of chatbot hallucinations and biases that may be present in the technology. A senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity, headquartered in Virginia, says... If a technology is inadvertently or intentionally misrepresenting certain viewpoints, that presents a potential opportunity to mislead users about actual facts about events, positions of individuals or their reputations, more broadly speaking. Well, the threats come largely from AI's ability to blur the lines between fact and fiction and misinformation as the biggest danger facing consumers. Uh, AI could reflect the values and beliefs of those who built the algorithm, Alexander points out, and those values and beliefs may not align with the chatbot consumer. More importantly, it may not align with the truth. 
States across the country are taking the lead in keeping biological males out of girls' sports with a flurry. And Republican lawmakers in North Carolina introduced a bill in the General Assembly Tuesday that would ban drag shows on public property or in the presence of a minor. The one-page bill comes weeks after a video went viral showing a drag queen giving a lap dance to a young student at a public school in the state. I've seen the video. It's not one I recommend, but it actually happened. House Bill 673, which was filed by Republican State Representative Jeff Zenger, would amend state law to define adult live adult entertainment as a performance featuring topless dancers, exotic dancers, strippers. Well, you get the idea. Anyway, the bill, which... Um, had 17 co-sponsors as of Wednesday would prohibit that entertainment on public property or in a location where adult live entertainment is in the presence of an individual under the age of 18. Violators would be guilty of a misdemeanor with up to five months in jail for the first offense and a class one felony with up to a year in jail for subsequent offenses. Two liberal organizations describing themselves as radical feminist groups have entered a surprising partnership in their effort to protect women's sports. This week, Women's Liberation Front and Women's Declaration International USA broke with the president and joined congressional Republicans in support of House Resolution 734 or the Protection of Women and Girls Sports Act, a bill that would prevent biological males from participating in women's sports. Replica CEO Eugenia Kaida, the creator of an AI dating app with millions of users around the world, spoke to Fox News Digital about AI companion bots and the future of human and AI relationships. It is an industry that she says will truly change people's lives. I think it's the next big platform. I think it's going to be bigger than any other platform before that. I think it's going to be basically whatever the iPhone is for you right now. She said that the technology still needs time to improve, but she predicted that people around the world will have access to chatbots that accompany them on trips and are intimately aware of their lives within the next five to ten years. And this would be, of course, in place of actual flesh and blood fellow humans. AI-generated pictures, videos, and voices called deepfakes are so believable and widely available that people will soon be able to, uh, excuse me, will not be able to discern between real and manipulated media. An image um, analyst uh, says, what's important about deepfakes is not, oh, we can manipulate audio images and videos. We've been able to do that for quite some time. A professor at the University of California, Berkeley School of Information says, but we've de- uh, democratized access to technology that used to be in the hands of a few and now are in the hands of the many. When we enter this world where any audio, image or video can be manipulated, well, then how do you believe anything? Uh, he continued, anytime I see the president speak or a candidate speak or a CEO speak or a reporter speak, now there's a lingering doubt. It's an interesting future. Well, one more uh, AI story, Chatbot, uh, or rather ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence chatbot was uh, released in, um, or rather by OpenAI in December of last year, is known for its ability to answer questions and provide detailed information in seconds, all in a clear conversational way. Well, as its popularity grows, Jet to GPT is popping up in virtually every industry, including education, real estate, content creation, and even healthcare. And although the chatbot could potentially change or improve some aspects of the patient's experience, experts caution that it has limitations and risks. They say that AI should never be used as a substitute for a physician's care. 
Searching for medical information online is nothing new. People have been Googling their symptoms for years. But with ChatGPT, people can ask health-related questions and engage in what feels like an interactive conversation with a seemingly all-knowing source of medical information. ChatGPT is far more powerful than Google and certainly gives more compelling results. However, it's not always clear the information that... um, is being spewed is accurate. There's plenty of misinformation on the web, as most people know. That's why the chatbot's responses, however convincing they may sound, should always be vetted by a doctor. Additionally, ChatGPT is only trained uh, on um, data up to September of 21, according to multiple sources. While it can increase its knowledge over time, it has limitations in terms of serving up more recent information. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Alan Jackson. Big trouble ahead. A real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. We'll also uh, talk about the 34th annual Capital Bible Reading Marathon. It kicks off this weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, the Supreme Court extended a pause on the lower court ruling that had sought to limit access to the commonly used abortion pill, Mifepristone, ensuring that the drugs uh, would remain widely available, at least for now, at least until Friday. In a brief order, Justice Samuel Alito announced that the court would extend its stay through Friday evening, giving the court more time to consider the case. Meanwhile, House Republicans released their long-awaited proposal to avert a debt ceiling crisis in a bid to end a standoff with the White House. The 320-page Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023, introduced by GOP leadership on Wednesday, would lift the U.S. debt limit by $1.5 trillion or until March 31, 2024, whichever comes first. As a trade-off, Republicans want a variety of spending cuts and commitments aimed at fostering economic growth. The German government has approved a bill banning new oil and gas heating systems from 2024 that opposition parties claimed would impose incalculable costs on homeowners. The bill, which resolves a dispute between liberals and greens in Olaf Scholl's third party coalition, stipulates that any heating system installed in new or old buildings after January 1st, 24, must be 65 percent based on renewable energy. Exemptions would be made for people on low incomes. The measure will speed up the shift to heat pumps, solar panels and hydrogen boilers powered by renewables in German buildings. It's seen as a crucial part of Berlin's effort to achieve carbon neutrality by 2045. The Biden administration announced a $325 million security assistance package for Ukraine on Wednesday, marking the 36th drawdown of equipment for Ukraine from the Defense Department since August of 2021. The United States has granted Ukraine more than $35 billion in military assistance since Russia's uh, invasion in February of last year. The package includes munitions and equipment from Defense Department inventories, including ammunition for high-mobility artillery rocket systems, artillery rounds, AT-4 anti-armor weapon systems, and much, much more. After... um, Lying to the world, disappearing doctors, and covering up the fact that COVID originated at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Chinese Communist Party is taking issue with congressional investigations into how the pandemic started. According to Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic Chairman Brad Winstrup, lawmakers received a cease and desist letter from the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C., demanding an end to their inquiries. The committee members have responded by telling the embassy, well, to get lost. 
The subcommittee on COVID pandemic, the Chinese embassy is attempting to interfere with our investigation into the origins of COVID-19 and silence our members. It won't work. We will follow the facts wherever they lead and deliver the truth to Americans, they said in response. The European Parliament and EU member states reached an agreement on Tuesday on how to boost the supply of semiconductors in Europe as the bloc races to reduce its dependency on Asian suppliers. The European Union has uh, prioritized local chip production following the economic aftereffect of the COVID-19 pandemic, which triggered supply chain shocks that led to significant shortages. Asian companies, especially those in China and Taiwan, currently dominate the manufacture and export of semiconductors. Under the agreement, the EU aims to double its current global market share to 20 percent in 2030 and mobilize more than 43 pounds, 43 billion pounds in public and private investment to feed Europe's growing appetite for chips. According to recent testimony from John Sopko, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, the answer to the question, are we funding the Taliban, is likely yes. Unfortunately, as I sit here today, he testified, I cannot assure this committee or the American taxpayer we are not currently funding the Taliban. Sopko stated in his opening remarks to the House Oversight Committee, he then added, nor can I assure you that the Taliban are not diverting the money we are sending from uh, the intended recipients, which are poor Afghan people. It was bad enough that after 20 years of war, during which the U.S. spent tens of billions of dollars on both military efforts and reconstruction projects, the uh, president effectively surrendered it all to the enemy with a disastrous pullout. Now we learn that the administration has given an additional $8 billion since leaving the Afghan people, and no one in the administration thought it would go to the Taliban. This is not merely incompetence, it's willful negligence. Senator Fetterman's first uh, hearing is an imbroglio. Uh, Pennsylvania Democrat Senator John Fetterman, who was uh, in Walter Reed Hospital for an extended period of time, suffering from depression, finally chaired his first committee hearing on Wednesday. From his uh, reading of his opening statement, it became painfully evident that the stroke Fetterman suffered on the campaign trail last year has damaged him significantly. He stumbled repeatedly as he read through documents related to the hearing topic. Funding for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. It was reminiscent of listening to a third grader struggling to read through an unfamiliar text. And that was not intended to be insulting, but just a way to describe how it went. After watching the display, it's clear that Fetterman is not um, able to fulfill the demanding role of U.S. Senator, let alone head a committee, many observers concluded. Josh Hawley renewed his call for Mayorkas impeachment and border offices find $21 million worth of fentanyl in a green bean shipment. Dr. Fauci's testimony on grain gain of function research was inconsistent with existing intel, says the ex-director of national intelligence. And Matt Gates is being scolded for displaying leaked secret Pentagon documents in an unclassified hearing. Fox will receive massive tax write-offs for the defamation settlement they've just entered. And Americans are struggling with 24 straight months of effective pay cuts under the administration. Well, Penguin removes unacceptable words from P.G. Woodhouse's novels and adds trigger warnings for outdated language because we just can't take it. An undercover video reveals doctors routinely approve puberty blockers for kids as young as eight. And a Washington state middle school is being blasted for a highly vile licking game between staff and students. TikTok is planning to remove climate change denial videos and direct users to authoritative information. And they, of course, will define what's authoritative. 
On this day in history, 1898, the United States moves closer to a war with Spain as President William McKinley signs a congressional resolution passed the day before recognizing Cuban independence and authorizing U.S. military intervention to achieve that goal. 1971, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously upholds the use of busing to achieve racial desegregation in schools. 1971, the National Public Radio makes its on-air debut with live coverage of a U.S. Senate hearing on the Vietnam War. 1972, Apollo 16's lunar module carrying astronauts John W. Young and Charles Duke Jr. lands on the moon. 1977, the U.S. Supreme Court in Woolley v. Maynard rules 6-3 to that car owners could refuse to display state mottos on license plates such as New Hampshire's Live Free or Die. 1999 on this day, the the, uh, Columbine High School Massacre takes place in Colorado as two students shoot and kill 12 classmates and one teacher before taking their own lives. 2010, an explosion on the Deepwater Horizon oil platform leased by BP kills 11 workers and causes a blowout that begins spewing an estimated 200 million gallons of crude into the Gulf of Mexico. The well would be finally capped nearly three months later. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, Wells Fargo agrees to pay $1 billion in federal regulate or two federal regulators to settle charges stemming from misconduct at their institutions. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming in just a few moments. When we return, Alan Jackson, author of Big Trouble Ahead, a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. We'll also fill you in on the 34th annual Capital Bible Reading Marathon at the U.S. Capitol. It kicks off this weekend. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, living in a time of global uncertainty, economic instability and extreme political division, it's left us feeling weary and discouraged. But God has not abandoned his people or his purpose. Well, in his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, Pastor Alan Jackson reminds us that even when the world around us is shaking, God's kingdom remains unshakable. As Christians, we can hold tight to the gospel and decipher the gathering storm clouds through the lens of Scripture. As you uh, read uh, Pastor Jackson's book in exploring recent world events in light of biblical and historical realities, you'll realize you can flourish as a believer um, so that you're part of uh, the church that is standing and respond to the news, social media, friends with confidence and peace, and be encouraged that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, Pastor Alan Jackson and his wife, Kathy, live uh, near Nashville, Tennessee, where they have uh, served as senior pastor of World Outreach Church since 1989. Under his leadership, the church has grown from less than 30 people to more than 15,000. His mission is to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus, and his biblical messages now reach and encourage countless people through Alan Jackson Ministries. He joins us today to talk about his latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's good to be with you, Georgine. Thank you. You uh, characterize so well in the book the challenges that we face And they tend to overwhelm us, but you put them in the context that every believer should be um, comfortable and familiar with. You put them in the context of Scripture so that we recognize, first of all, what Jesus said to expect and what's happening in our time. Uh, You state in the book, again, Big Trouble Ahead, that the 2020 Easter service at your church was really something of a wake-up call. Can you describe that service 
uh, and how it communicated something to you that hadn't dawned on you up to that point? I, I can. It was it was really a shocking day for me. I had always rather said said rather pridefully that we would have church no matter what happened. You know, we live in Tennessee, and if it snows in Kentucky, we close our schools here in Tennessee. So, you know, I would talk about inclement weather and say no matter what the weather is, we'll have church. But then when the pandemic, we heard about the virus from Wuhan, we were closed for six weeks. And that Easter Sunday, I was standing in an empty room. I still hadn't sorted out what to do with all that. So I wore my suit and tie and stood in an empty room and looked at a little red light at the back of the room, talking to people that were sitting at home on their sofa in their pajamas. And I realized I had been leading a rather presumptive life. And so I began to rethink my approach to what we did and to reevaluate the privilege of gathering with God's people. And and we really walked out of that season with a different attitude and a different plan for the future. But it began with changes in our own hearts. Well, it was a very sobering season for many of us. And in fact, you refer to COVID-19 as a tremor, a foreshock of the challenges ahead. What what can we gain in terms of our understanding of what's coming in light of what we've just been through? Well, I think to understand, you know, the first messaging we got was that if we would go home for two weeks and shelter in place, we could flatten the curve and go back to normal. So three weeks into this, we realized that the messaging we had was inadequate. That's unsettling and uncomfortable. But at that point, we realized we're going to have to begin to watch and look and think for ourselves. And the bigger picture to me was that this is about far more than a pandemic. You know, we're two and a half years later now, and lawlessness has increased, violence has increased, uh, our borders are still open. We have so many challenges from supply chain issues to global challenges of unrest um, to rising fuel prices. I mean, the, the chaos and the confusion, the misinformation or the disinformation, the censorship, the propaganda. This is about far more than a virus, and we're navigating a new landscape. But I also believe that God is moving in some very, very unique ways, and there are opportunities that we didn't recognize three years ago. So we have to decide whether we're going to be frightened or angry because there's been a change in the world around us, or we can see the opportunities and imagine a better future. And I'm going to vote for a better future. Amen. You write about uh, and offer some examples of deception and misinformation that flooded society then and continues to do so right now. Uh, do you think COVID um, increased misinformation or just exposed what was already going on? Yeah, I think probably a little bit of both. But more than anything, I think for me, at least, I was awakened to what was happening. Maybe we were distracted by our pursuit of comfort and convenience. And as long as we were comfortable and had the things that we wanted We just didn't look at the inconvenient, uncomfortable things. But the truth is, disinformation has been growing for a long time. Uh, I I think we're seeing censorship in unprecedented ways. Some of our new communications platforms have made that much simpler and easier. You know, I remember the days when the ACLU would defend the the most heinous forms Mm -hmm. of speech under the sense of that First Amendment. And they seem to have lost the momentum of doing that in the current season. But so some things I think are new. But in reality, much of what we're seeing in the public square today, I was hearing in the university settings decades ago. It's just made its way all the way down into our elementary schools now. And I think it's really good news. You can't get to a better outcome until you get an accurate diagnosis. 
And I think the awakening that's taking place about the reality of our circumstances is going to help us navigate a better future. That was one of the byproducts of the uh, the lockdown is that parents, perhaps for the first time, had an up close and personal view of what their children were being taught or what they weren't being taught. And that was eye opening. That was one area that um, the uh, the lockdown exposed. But I think it was an awakening in other areas as well. It was. And it's an area where I'm a bit embarrassed, to be honest. You know, I I stepped out of some places with my biblical worldview because we were told that it wasn't appropriate for them to be there, whether it was our children's classrooms or some academic settings or corporate boardrooms. We were told that a Judeo-Christian worldview shouldn't be introduced into those places. And yet we find ourselves today where corporate boardrooms are very aggressively pushing a worldview issue. To, I mean, to the point that they will relocate the all-star game for baseball or all sorts of corporate boardrooms have opinions about social systems. Well, those are just worldview opinions. Well, at this point now, I'm embarrassed that I took my Christian worldview and stepped aside. We have every bit as much of a right to have a voice in those public places as any other worldview does. And I think the Christians are going to have to wake up a bit. We don't want to be angry. We certainly don't want to be belligerent and absolutely not violent. But we have a place in the public square, and I think we abandoned it in the name of maybe tolerance or inclusivity. And I don't want to be less tolerant or less inclusive, but I certainly want a place at the table and a voice in the discussion. How could our churches have been uh, caught so unprepared? If we are familiar with the scriptures, we know that every generation will face uh, challenges. How could we be so unprepared or misinterpret Uh, current events in such a way that we did not assume our rightful place of some influence and perhaps help during uh, this particular season and those that will follow? That is a very good question. And and for me to understand that, I have to look back a little bit, because I I don't think our circumstance is unusual. Jesus told the disciples in the plainest of language what would happen when they arrived in Jerusalem, and yet they were caught completely off guard. It was outside the realm of their expectation or their imagination. The same has happened to the church throughout history. You know, I have lived in Israel and studied at the university, Hebrew University, and I I spent a lot of time in the Holocaust Museum. I have heard hundreds of interviews with survivors of the Holocaust, and they all begin with a very similar statement. I just couldn't believe that they would come for me, or I couldn't believe they would have that attitude towards me. And I think it's so easy to get engaged in a culture and take our eyes off the counsel we have from Scripture. And I think we've been a little guilty of that, but we're not the first generation to do that. The story of the Bible and the story of church history is about this consistent challenge for the people of God that we drift off course, and then we have to be awakened and be brought back to center. And then I think we have the privilege of being one of those generations now who are in the midst of an awakening. It's awkward, it's uncomfortable, but it's hopeful because there's a better future for us. I love that the subtitle of your book is A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. I think that for many of us in the church who know the scriptures, or at least somewhat, we have forgotten that flourishing is part of our future, even in the midst of the challenges that we face today and the challenges that are coming. Absolutely. Our future isn't secured by Wall Street or by the strength of the dollar. We don't need a 51% majority in order for the will of God or the purposes of God to go forward. What is essential is the hearts of God's people. Our problems do not stem from the depravity of the wicked. The challenges we face emerge from the indifference of the faithful. 
And if we will adjust our hearts and humble ourselves, I am quite confident that the creator of heaven and earth has a good plan for our future and we can trust him. Amen. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. Uh, He is the author of the latest book, Big Trouble Ahead, a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Pastor Alan Jackson. He and his wife live near Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. His mission has been to help people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and his biblical messages now reach and encourage countless people through Alan Jackson Ministries. He is, in fact, going to be the speaker at our a pastor's appreciation breakfast that's coming up November the 3rd, and we'll give you more details as we draw nearer to that event um, here on the program as well. Well, Pastor Allen, um, you break down the Lord's Prayer line by line in the uh, chapter when you discuss the fundamentals of our faith. Is that where we begin with the fundamentals and understanding uh, the ground upon which we stand? I believe so. You know, I think in any endeavor, whether it's athletics or cooking or business or in our faith, the fundamentals really are the essentials if we're going to have meaningful success. And in Christianity, I think we've been distracted a bit. We've imagined to think it was about our style of worship or the translation of the Bible we read or the architecture of the building where we gather or something. And all those things have a place, and we're certainly allowed to have a preference. But the fundamentals matter. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said he taught us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not going to be done in the abstract. God's will being expressed in the earth is going to be expressed through his people. So when we pray that, we're praying for personal transformation. It's a personal mission statement. We're not really asking God to change the ungodly. We're asking him to enable us to be expressions of his will in the earth. To me, that feels like a big assignment, but it is essential and I have to decide that that's important. I have to intend for that to happen. And so, again, I think what we're walking through is more about a wake-up call for the people of God, that we will see His will done in the earth. And if we'll commit ourselves to that, I think it will be a most remarkable outcome. Is there a phrase in that prayer that you think most Christians either misunderstand or should revisit to fully understand what it is that God is calling us to? Well, I don't know if it's misunderstood. I'll tell you a phrase in there that gives me difficulty when he said to give me today my daily bread. I understand the meaning of those words, but what I would really like is all the bread I'm ever going to need for all of my days. And I'd like the key to the warehouse so I can go walk (laughs) around it and see what my future looks like. That invitation to trust God on a daily basis, for some reason, is uncomfortable. And I think it's an essential part of stability in our lives and having peace in our hearts is knowing exactly who it is that secures our future and why. And I think trusting God is probably a better path than trusting politicians or political parties or governments. I'm not opposed to any of those things, but the Lord is a more secure point of focus for our future. And I think that prayer is a wonderful invitation back to a better center point. Absolutely. I'm so grateful for God's word. Can you talk a little bit about how we benefit as believers, specifically from the Holy Spirit? Mm, I can. When Jesus was getting ready to leave, you know, he had recruited his disciples. 
said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they did. They walked away. They completely reordered their lives to follow Jesus. And they got three years into that adventure, and he sat down with them one day, and he said, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And they just about lost their minds. I mean, this was not the nature of the agreement as they had understood it. It wasn't the future they wanted. They had gained a great deal of confidence and trust in Jesus. And now he said he was leaving. And then he looked at him and he said something that's almost impossible to understand. He said, it's better for you if I go away, because if I do, I'll send you another comforter. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll guide you into all truth. And if that was true for Peter and James and John and the Marys and the rest of the crew that were with Jesus, I believe it's true for you and me that the Holy Spirit present with us is the fullest possible provision that God can make for our lives. And I I just think we have had so much. We've been able to secure our futures on our own and imagine that we can navigate the world around us. We haven't had to be that dependent upon the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And a part of the opportunity we have these days is to begin to say to him in a quiet, gentle way, you're welcome in my life. I want to learn to recognize your voice. I want to cooperate with your promptings. I will follow your lead. If we will do that, I think we will find a tremendous comfort in the midst of the confusion. Amen. How should Christians respond to the rising threat of immorality, which uh, threatens to overwhelm many so they choose simply to disconnect altogether. If I'm unaware of what's happening, I won't be impacted by it, nor will I be called upon to do anything about it. Wow. Well, I think our assignment to be salt and light is unyielding, but sometimes we get confused about where that light needs to shine. I think it starts at our kitchen table. I think if we will bring our biblical perspective home and begin to talk about it with the people where we have influence closest to us, and then we'll have the courage to have that conversation with the people that we spend our discretionary time with, or perhaps at the ball fields and when we're with our children at the soccer games, that we'll find there are plenty of opportunities to discuss our biblical worldview. Um, It just takes courage. The hardest place in the world for me to be a Christ follower is at home. I can get on a plane and go to another country, and I'm a hero for Jesus. But living that faith out with my neighbors and the people that I'm doing life with is it takes determination and focus but that's the place I think God will honor it and bring the change. We've got to bring our faith back to the kitchen table and tell one another the truth and help one another forward. And I believe God will bring about the outcomes we need. Are there pagan religious practices that we've unwittingly allowed to sort of take root in our personal and family lives? Is that a challenge for us? Absolutely. We've sacrificed 60 million of our children. We've allowed family to be redefined. We've redefined marriage. We have trouble identifying gender. Um, All of those seem almost beyond imagination, but they're as real within the church as they are without. And we've got to come back and begin to practice the truth of the Word of God as we know it. It's not that complicated. It's just not always easy. And we're going to have to have the courage to say, God, God was the one that designed sex. He's not a prude. He gave us a context in which it will bring the very best to human beings. And outside of that context, it's destructive. And we're going to have to have the courage to trust him and begin to be obedient to him and stop acting as if he didn't mean what he said. The truth isn't really a mystery to us. It's just been inconvenient. And so now it's time for the church to come back in humility and repent and begin to practice the truth that we understand. You write about in one of your chapters, the path of the coming storm. Uh, there are challenging uh, challenges that are coming 
that will exceed what we're experiencing today. Can you talk a little bit about what we might anticipate? And if we are um, being led by the Holy Spirit, if we are committed to to God's word, if we take the the Lord's Prayer seriously, uh, how we might respond and, as your subtitle suggests, flourish. Well, I think if you have the courage to open your eyes and to listen, we can recognize a pretty rapid deterioration around us. We're selecting people to some of the most influential places in our nation, and they're reluctant to define what a woman is. That's not really a complex question. Uh, In recent days that we've had an FBI raid or search of a former president's home, Um, I've watched I've been around long enough to know that we've had a whole lot of elected officials who have been involved in a whole lot of questionable things, but we've never seen a response like mm-hmm. this. We're seeing station of politics in ways that are new to us. We have a border that we won't enforce. You can't survive as a sovereign nation if you don't enforce your borders. I mean, you, you don't have to look very far to see behaviors that are beyond troubling. They threaten our existence. And again, I think we have to understand where are the solutions going to come from. They're not going to originate with a politician or a political party. The solution is going to come from God, so that the response has to begin in the hearts of God's people. So rather than be angry or critical or judgmental, I believe it's time for us to humble ourselves and begin to bow our heads and talk to the Lord in ways with a greater determination than we have in recent years. And I believe we will see God respond. Absolutely. You make the point that it's important in times of tribulation to know and to tell your Jesus story. Some of us are, quite frankly, a little bit ashamed to tell our story. We call it something else, but we're very reluctant to share it out of fear that we're going to be rejected or ridiculed or any number of things. Why is it important, especially for us, to tell our stories, which are ours, they they can't really be disputed by someone who hasn't had that same experience, why is it so important for us to at least begin there to tell the story of our relationship, our walk with Jesus? Well, your observation is exactly correct. It's your story, and it, it's your reality. It's your truth. We hear your truth celebrated just about everywhere we listen these days. And as Christ followers, we need the courage to be willing to share what God has done in our life. We've had a, a mistaken either impression or goal The church is not the Hall of Fame of Christianity. We don't gather in our churches on the weekends because we're perfect. In fact, quite the opposite is true. We're a triage unit. Mm -hmm. We come to church broken and wounded, and we limp in, and we stand together in community and invite the presence of God to begin the process of healing and restoration and deliverance. And everybody's welcome. People say to me, Pastor, I don't want to go to church. There's so many hypocrites. And I usually answer the same way. Well, we've got room for one more. Come on, we'll squeeze you in. (laughs) Because we all start in that broken condition. And there's no shame in acknowledging that. The the weakness or the failure comes when we pretend that we don't need God's help. And that's uh, certainly the challenge for us. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. So do stay with us. His latest book is simply titled Big Trouble Ahead. Yeah, I think we get that. A real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. Now that, that is a message we'd so desperately need to hear. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. He, along with his wife, lived near Nashville, Tennessee, where he served as senior pastor at World Outreach Church since 1989. Again, his book is titled Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. 
Uh, Let me ask you what Bible passages you recommend for those who fear the coming tribulation and how we can keep our eyes on the prize. It's so tempting to focus on what's going on uh, on this earthly plane without looking up and remembering the context, the eternal context within which uh, we are experiencing life here on earth. Well, I think people being frightened is normal. You know, in, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of a storm, it's unsettling. And we're certainly walking through a storm. One of my favorite habits these days is to take a chapter from the book of Proverbs that deals, corresponds with the date. And then I choose a verse for that day, a promise out of that chapter that seems to bring me hope in the midst of the storm. It gives me something to think about on a daily basis other than the latest headlines. One suggestion I would make would spend more time reading your Bible than you read watching the news. Mm. About 10 the news a day, and you can get an overview of what's happening. You spend too much more time than that on the Internet chasing down your favorite conspiracy theory, and it starts to pollute your heart no matter which side of the equation you're on. Spend more time thinking about what God has told us he will do and he is doing than spending your time listening to what's going on. You can stay abreast of current events with a pretty minimal investment of time, and I'm not exactly sure which media outlet we trust anyway. I mean, one of the casualties in this season has been trust from the CDC to the FBI to the WHO to a whole host of alphabet organizations. We're not sure which message is trustworthy any longer. But God's word is still steadfast, and I believe we can trust him. Mm. I appreciate that in that chapter you offer Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For when, uh, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." We have um, been given the the uh, promise of of heaven, the promise of victory, the promise of the return of Christ that can so easily be lost in uh, our being overwhelmed by events that are occurring uh, close to home. And you've described so well how we can um, saturate ourselves in that uh, that truth where whatever the source might be to the neglect of God's word. It's an easy easy, you know, trap to step into. And it takes a bit more discipline to keep our focus on the Lord. But Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And I think we can, we're encouraged to fix our attention on him, to use him as a model. And I think we have to keep our focus on there's something better for us. It's true that some of the systems in our present world order are shaking violently. And I think some of them are going to collapse. I don't think the the debt structure we're carrying as a nation is sustainable. We can't be $30 trillion in debt and just continue to add trillions of dollars because we want to hand out more money. The the government doesn't have money. They just spend hours. And we're going to have to create either we're going to have to create something to compensate for that debt. So I suspect we're going to see some of the systems that we're familiar with collapse. But that doesn't diminish God's care, protection, or provision for our lives. And we'll have to have the discipline to keep our attention focused upon him. If he could deliver the Israelites from the the brick pits of slavery in Egypt and provide for them in the Negev wilderness, I checked my history. I don't believe Costco was open yet or Sam's when the Israelites were making their way through the Negev. 
And yet God fed them every day and provided water they needed and the clothing they needed and the medical care they needed. I'm pretty confident he can take care of us in the 21st century. You have a chapter titled Stand and Be Counted, that we need to be ready to stand. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in the challenging season we find ourselves in and with big trouble ahead? Yes, I can talk about standing. You know, if you use if you don't use a muscle, it atrophies. If you break your arm and they put a cast on it, and they take that cast off in six weeks, your arm looks different. Well, the the, the contemporary church in our nation, we've had so much freedom and so much liberty. We we really haven't had to stand too much. So I think those muscles have atrophied. And when you start to use muscles you haven't used before, it's not a pleasant experience. You, you get tired very quickly, and then you get sore, and they scream at you not to do that anymore. And I think we're enduring a little bit of that right now as a church. We haven't really had to stand up. We haven't had to be courageous. We haven't had to be particularly bold. We've learned how to retreat, and we've learned how to yield territory. And now we're having to walk back into the public schools and into the courtrooms and the classrooms and the places and say, our, our faith belongs here, too. And that's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel normal. It's not our habit. But I also believe we can do it in love, and we can do it with boldness. If Peter and John could stand before the Sanhedrin, the group of people that orchestrated Jesus' execution, and they could say to them, you crucified the Lord of glory, and we will not stop saying that in this city or wherever they give us the opportunity. And they did that facing threats and imprisonment, then surely the 21st century, we can find a way to say we believe Jesus is Lord, that his message and his ministry is unique, and that he will bring good things to your life. Now, not everybody will cheer for us when we do that, but I believe we can strengthen those muscles and we can begin to stand in a way that will bring God's blessings to our children and our grandchildren. You write in your chapter, um, Stand and Be Counted. I do not want him to see me on that day and say, oh, it's you. I want him to greet me with a smile and say, welcome and well done. We all long for that, but don't necessarily want to do what's necessary in order to do um, what he's calling us to do. And again, it's it's out of fear. And I, I'm so grateful that your book, The Big uh, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing, not only points out the challenges that we'll face, but how we can do so in a way that's honoring to him and that we won't just survive but we'll thrive and flourish. That's what God's intention is for us. Absolutely. And to the people who are afraid, you know, I would say, you can do courageous things and be afraid. We don't have to have a complete absence of fear. We just have to be determined not to let fear dictate our decisions. We can, there's a, you know, there's many things that can help us overcome fear. Trust is really essential. We gain trust in God and our fear diminishes. Our love for the people around us is more powerful than the fear we feel that holds us back. So we want to start to look for those things that give us the energy and the enthusiasm to diminish the impact of fear. And then we start to act in a far more courageous way. I believe there's tremendous courage in the hearts of God's people. Mm -hmm. We haven't had permission to give expression to it. Well, today is the is the day. We're talking with Pastor Alan Jackson's latest book is simply titled Big Trouble Ahead. And Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's good to be with you, Georgine. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Went a little long. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. 
Well, the 34th annual National Capital Bible Reading Marathon is going to kick off on Saturday. It marks the first time the event has taken place at the U.S. Capitol Complex since COVID-19, the pandemic. It was spearheaded by the Indiana-based ministry group Seedline International. The National Capital Bible Reading Marathon will take place on the West Terrace of the Capitol, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, the 22nd, 10 a.m. through April the 23rd. A rotating group of volunteers will take turns reading every word of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 15-minute slots. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that? Uh, reading. Those hoping to participate can sign up uh, for a time slot online. The National Capital Bible Reading Marathon's website outlines the requirements for those hoping to read from Scripture as part of the event, specifically that a volunteer reader must be a born-again Christian, must uh, provide personal transportation, and must arrive five minutes before their scheduled reading time. While most of the reading will be done by scheduled volunteer readers, those walking by who want to read, they'll have the opportunity to participate as well. About 98% of the reading slots will be filled in advance, however. Well, in an interview with the Christian Post, Keith Davidson, he's the founder and director of Seedline International, said he hopes the event will draw attention back to the Bible and remind Americans that our founding fathers and founding principles of the country for expressing our First Amendment rights to the freedom of speech and religion. He expressed gratitude that the event was taking place at the Capitol this year as the restrictions imposed by the pandemic lockdowns had forced the event to move to the nation's capital. Um, or I should say move the nation's capital Bible reading marathon to a nearby faith and liberty headquarters for the past three years. For us, it's a privilege to be back outside, facing west, viewing the Washington Monument in the background. And just being out on the Capitol steps and on Capitol grounds is just a good thing. We're excited about that. He went on to say, well, David said uh, said that the event doesn't stop in uh, inclement weather unless there's uh, danger posed by severe weather. If such uh, in such cases, participants move inside the building and continue to read. And while the Bible reading marathon will be streamed on Seedline International's YouTube channel, there will not be an option for people to read from Scripture virtually as there has been in years past. Well, members of Congress who want to participate in the event might have the opportunity to read from uh, the Capitol as lawmakers will be in session during part of this year's event. Uh, Davidson said that several members of Congress had made an interest uh, Interested comment to read scripture as part of the annual event that will also be attended by Christian schools and church groups. And although Davidson is leading the event, he's depending on a team of about 35 volunteers to help pull it all together. He remarked that there will be someone there from seed line around the clock, meaning that volunteers will take turns so as not to force one person to remain there for Uh, nearly four straight days. He estimated that there will be approximately 50 people on the Capitol grounds at the opening event, uh, adding that I would anticipate around 300 or so that would attend at some point, but not all at the same time. In addition to the National Capitol Bible Reading Marathon, he also helps organize the Bible Reading Marathon at state capitals nationwide. We asked about his progress in setting up Bible reading marathons at state capitals, and he says, well, it's going well. We've been in Tennessee, Indiana, Pennsylvania. We're also going to West Virginia, then Louisiana, North Carolina, South Carolina is coming on board. And we've got some interest in Colorado and possibly Texas. Because of previous riots and so forth, it's become a little bit difficult to get on Capitol grounds, but we seem to be making good progress on that. Notice that most of those states are located in the cluster, sort of the Bible Belt areas, 
uh, nothing on the West Coast. Uh, We'll see what the future holds with regard to a marathon reading of Scripture at a state capitol. Well, the U.S. military is preparing to place additional forces in Djibouti for a potential mission to evacuate the U.S. embassy there uh, in Khartoum, Sudan's capital city. A senior U.S. official confirmed the talk about this earlier in the program, but I thought it bore repeating. This was the breaking news story of the day. Embassy staff have been sheltering in place since Saturday. Gunfire and explosions erupted in the capital with conflict between the paramilitary rapid support forces and Sudan's army. The two sides are battling for control of the country with five million city residents and U.S. personnel caught in the crossfire. The Department of Defense through U.S. Africa Command is monitoring the situation in Sudan. They're conducting prudent planning for various counter contingent Rather, As part of this, we're developing additional capabilities um, nearby in the region for contingency purposes related to securing and potentially facilitating the departure of U.S. embassy personnel from the country if circumstances require it. That's according to the Defense Department spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Philip Ventura. As a matter of policy and security, we do not speculate on potential future operations. Well, it was first reported that plans to rescue embassy staff who are sheltering just eight miles from Khartoum's international airport. The airport has been left inoperable by heavy fighting. Military evacuation appears to be the only way the 70 or so embassy staffers can escape Sudan without serious risk to their lives. And according to Politico, Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman met with lawmakers um, privately on Wednesday and said that troops, uh, they would be moving to Djibouti where Camp um, Lemonier is located to give the Biden administration options to launch an evacuation operation. She stressed that the mission would whisk uh, only embassy staff to safety and that there won't be military-led general evacuation of American citizens. So they are at present on their own. The Department of Defense through U.S. Africa Command is monitoring the situation there, conducting prudent planning. Uh, Venture said the U.S. military maintains a constant state of readiness to support any number of missions around the world. As a matter of policy and security, we do not speculate on potential operations or force movements. Within Sudan, the Department of Defense's uh, mission is primarily focused on providing security at the U.S. Embassy. And while operational security prevents them from going into detail, the Department of Defense, through the Marine Corps Embassy Security Group, provides ongoing security for diplomatic facility facilities worldwide. Well, the White House made similar comments on Wednesday and com- condemned the violence, which has uh, claimed the lives of about 270 people so far and um, left as many as 2,600 injured. The Sudanese Doctors Union reported that nine hospitals have been damaged during the fighting and 16 have been evacuated. So this is a serious Conflict. The United States condemns in the strongest terms violence between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces. The uh, conflict has disheartened hopes for democracy in Sudan after decades of dictatorships. Uh, Bombardments were reported in central Khartoum, the country's capital, as residents struggle with power outages and dwindling food supply. And again, um, the U.S. is preparing to position troops in case potential Sudan embassy evacuation is made necessary. That will only apply to embassy personnel and not U.S. uh, citizens who are in Sudan at this time.
Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll take a look certainly at the headlines, but also the lighter side of the news, and we'll share this week's Christian Outlook, and we'll talk about a pastor who passed away this past week. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.